Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, the Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire podcast, with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. everyone this is guile i tweet at door podcast and tonight i'm joined by chicky hey i am chicky i'm at the chick run on twitter and eon hey this is eon i'm eon blue negative on tumblr and we're joined by one of our favorite occasional gents devin uh, this is devin gd harpo on twitter and in tonight's episode we're going to be covering another one of our favorite chapters although technically this chapter was chosen by our Twitter followers in a in a poll we had. This was actually the number one vote getter, and it is a Dance with Dragons Melisandra. So a completely new and exciting POV that we right? haven't uh, that we haven't really touched on at all. Yeah, this um, is definitely somewhere we've never been before. Yeah. And you know, obviously our standard spoiler warnings and um, trigger warnings. I, although I guess I think we're cool. <laughs> Trigger warning uh, one wise. never knows. One you never, never know. knows. This is true. You never know where where it might lead us. So, um, we open the chapter with Melisandre praying in her chambers at Castle Black, and she's staring into the fire and sees a series of shapes and visions, eyeless faces, towers by the sea, crumbling as a dark tide sweeps over them, shadows in the shapes of skulls that turn to mist, and bodies locked in lust. And through curtains of fire, great wing shadows against the sky. Could those be dragons? They could be dragons. <laughs> <laughs> um, she wants to see the girl again, the, the gray girl on a dying horse. And what she sees instead is a face in the hearth. And she wonders for a second if it's Stannis. But um, instead, it, it's not Stannis. And I wanted to read, there's a couple pa- longer passages in here that I wanted to read, just because I think the... It's hard to summarize the language in some of these. So, Mm -hmm. uh, She thinks, a face took shape within the hearth. Stannis, she thought for just a moment, but no, these were not his features. A wooden face, corpse white. Was this the enemy? A thousand red eyes floated in the rising flames. He sees me. Beside him, a boy with a wolf's face threw back his head and howled. The red priestess shuddered. Blood trickled down her thigh, black and smoking. The fire was inside her, an agony, an ecstasy, filling her, searing her, and transforming her. Shimmers of heat trace patterns on her skin, insistent as a lover's hand. Strange voices called to her from days long past. Melanie, she heard a woman cry. A man's voice called, Lot 7. She was weeping, and her tears were flame, and still she drank it in. Snowflakes swirled from a dark sky, and ashes rose to meet them the gray and the white whirling around each other as flaming arrows arched above a wooden wall and dead things shambled silent through the cold beneath a great gray cliff where fires burned inside a hundred caves. Then the wind rose and the white mist came sweeping in, impossibly cold, and one by one the fires went out. Afterward, only the skulls remained. Death, thought Melisandre. The skulls are death. The flames crackled softly, and in their crackling she heard the whispered name, Jon Snow. (laughs) His long face floated before her, (laughs) limbed in tongues of red and orange, appearing and disappearing again, a shadow half seen behind a fluttering curtain. Now he was a man, now a wolf, now a man again. But the skulls were here as well. The skulls were all around him. Melisandre had seen his danger before, had tried to warn the boy of it. Enemies all around him, daggers in the dark. He would not listen. So there's a, a lot a lot going on here. There is um, a lot going on mm-hmm. there. You know, was there anything that really stood out to any of you? Uh, Blood Raven and Bran. The wooden face with the the, the red eyes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she she comes back to them. But I, I did I think it I did think it was curious that, you know, there's even a part here where she thinks of Rob as the young wolf, and you know, obviously she's associating the wolf with John, 
but she never associates um, the boy with the wolf's face as anything related to Stark, which I thought was um, mm. was interesting mm. that she wouldn't at least think about that connection, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting how she thinks of Bloodraven immediately as an enemy, which I totally get, but also, are they? Right. I don't know. Um, you know, and we see, you know, some things that I think make a little bit of sense. You know, we see, um, you know, that we see the towers crumbling, and you know, I think there's there's some tran- different translations of of that. You know, the eyeless faces, which we'll find out in this chapter, um, the skulls, you know, that turn to mist. But the the bodies locked in lust was when I was like, I don't know what the hell she's seeing. Does anyone? Is there a theory of that at all? I mean, I don't think it's Jamie and Brienne as much as right. I <laughs> Right? Like what? Um, you know, or if that, yeah, I, unless that's like ice and fire, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe when that I is. Was it, maybe I that is thought, John and is Danny. That, yeah, that's what I thought while I was reading. I said, uh, I, I thought, is that John and Danny? Yeah. And then my next thought was, I really hope not. And I just kept. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we get to, you know, our next part, we get Devin's namesake. Um, <laughs> Melisandre's servant is Devin Seaworth. And he asks her what she sees, and she tells him, as usual, uh, much and more. But she seems troubled that she can't find Stannis, and she thinks, I pray for a glimpse of Azor Ahai, and Reller only shows me snow. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> snow and with it, a capital S. Yeah, and, it, and again, you know, it's this, why, you know, she seems pretty smart. Why is she not making this connection? It must just be that she can't put together how John could be that. I yeah. think that's the only thing that holds her. But she definitely does know that it's John, though, because yeah. it's right. her POV and it's a capital S. So yeah. she knows it's John. She just doesn't know why, I think. Yeah. Just how much she believes in Stannis is like that. That caught me a little bit off guard. Like I wasn't remembering like how much she actually believed what you know they were doing like she fully believes that stannis is the guy and she's a little bit blind you know she you know i think we'll get in you will get into some of it how her blindness is you know really she's like the little finger of of roller in some ways i think (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah but it's you know i i have to say i remember this when i read it because of course you know I'm sure you guys can imagine the first time I read Dance, like every goddamn new POV character, I just wanted to throw the fucking book. (laughs) But it is interesting what he shows you because she's been such an enigmatic character up to this point. And, you know, you kind of question, you know, how much actual magic she's doing and everything. And it's like with this, you're like, shit, there is real magic here. Mm -hmm. There is. But at the same time, it's like almost scary how little she actually understands what she's seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, so she asks Devin to get her a drink, and you know she thinks that this is kind of the sweet part. I think this is the part that endears in this POV that endears people to her the most. And you know she thinks about how Devin is half in love with her, but you know he's still not happy to be there, and that he was Stannis' squire, and you know he naturally wanted to go to battle with Stannis, but Melisandre kept him behind for Davos's sake. And you know neither of them would appreciate her gesture, but her flames have shown her that Davos is true. And she doesn't think that he should lose another son. And, you know, Devin is, she thinks Devin is safer here than he, than he would be with Stannis. And, you know, having read Ash's chapters, you know, yeah, he, he probably yeah, is. probably true. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But yeah, funny that, not funny, but just, you know, it's sweet that, you know, she kind of, you know, it's it's sweet that she is doing this for Davos. And that well, it shows has some humanity. Human, yeah, these human yeah. emotions. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not saying she's not still a total asshole. She is, but you know, I mean, like clearly she's not completely devoid of you know yeah. human emotion and um, empathy. Quite frankly, so she thought she's thinking about the rest of her guards, and they sound like a pretty motley crew. But she doesn't care because Reller will, will protect her. And it's nearly dawn, but we find out that she barely ever sleeps or eats anyway, and that she fears to dream and. You know, she as she thinks about her fear of the dreams, she starts to think of these little snippets um, that we assume are from her past. You know, Lot Seven and and Melanie, and you know, I think we assume obviously that's her name. And you know, Lot Seven was the you know, 
the slave auction. So these are like her defining, you know, even if she's, you know, like 300 years old or something, these are, these are still like her defining moments. Um, she knows that beyond the wall, the enemy is getting stronger and she wonders if it was his face she saw in the flame. You know, the, this is the great other. But then she thinks that it can't be, that she, that he'd be more frightening. But she's sure that the wooden man and the wolf boy must be his servants. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting analysis about how, um, you know, her thinking is very black and white. That mm. if they're not servants of Relor, they are the enemy. You know, there's no sense that there might be other forces that have the same goals as she does. Not necessarily saying that Bran and Bloodraven do. I don't I don't know that we know that yet. Yeah, but, but they're definitely not working for the other. Yeah. For I the mean, other, right. Right. I mean we have the whites gathered around the cave you know, the whites trying to prevent Bran from getting to the cave. You know, we, we have mm-hmm. all of these and you know, we have all these um incidents that would make you believe that, you know, no, they are absolutely not um they're not doing the great others work at least at this point. But she, you know, she definitely sees you as either for or against. I mean, Davos is kind of like one of the, and John, for that matter, are kind of one of the exceptions. But I think part of her probably assumes that, you know, if if they see her as being more and more right, they'll come around more or less. I feel like she's like, yeah, you know, she'll use Jon Snow, but part of her, I think, assumes well, that he'll come around to her. I assume that's because that's the type of thing that has worked with people like Stannis mm-hmm. in the past. I mean, like, I assume that's why Stannis believes in her is just because, yeah. you know, results. Right, right. Yeah, she talks about that and how, like, particularly that John and Stannis are more alike than either of them would care to admit and that what worked for Stannis will probably work mm-hmm. for John. It's interesting. You know, there's a – we'll get into, like, how she's talking about her powers, but – um you know, when she's thinking about Jon Snow, he thinks, oh, you know, he's not going to come to her. Um, you know, he knows better than to come to her like a supplicant. But then, you know, she thinks that he's foolish to still be living in the armory and that, you know, the trappings of power are part of power. And mm-hmm. there's a few things where she's, like, really politically savvy. And mm-hmm. a lot of her worth, you know, a lot of her worth in this position seems to come from you know, just political savvy that has nothing to do with magic. You know, she's just, like, been around the block a little bit. She kind of gets, she kind of gets it a bit. Like, she's quite clever. And, um, you know, she, with, you know, you take away all of the magic, and she kind of makes a pretty solid advisor in some ways. Yeah, well, it makes you wonder how many other powerful people she's been around before Mm -hmm. she got to Westeros, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like, clearly, she has a pretty clear understanding of that. And, you know, I mean, there's so many things we still don't know, like, you know, what the show did showing her to be basically ancient, and just, you know, using a glamour, like, Mm -hmm. I think we can assume there is a glamour, but we don't know how old she actually is, or how, you know, she could have lived through many rulers. And, you know, sounds like she's pretty high up in whatever the R'hllor clerical order. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting. It's interesting how many hints George gives you about what her past might be Mm -hmm. and how they're about her more vulnerable past than they are about like possibly her other leadership. We don't find anything, which would be interesting if he was going to write fake histories, it would have been kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah. You know, to have like a little Easter egg of Melisandre in, in some of, the fake histories that he's put out, you know, that would have been just even like a little hint of a red woman, like, uh, you know, 150 years ago would have been kind of fun. Yeah, so, it would have been interesting, George. So if, if Melisandre's in Blood of Fire, would you read it? You know, I mean, I pretty much resisted reading it, but... I almost bought it today. <laughs> I saw it in Devin Target when I was today. in there and I walked by something. it. Yeah. I saw it at Barnes & Noble's the other day and glared and walked away. <laughs> uh, yeah, did you guys see his? Did you see George's post today that it was, you know, the number one bestseller? Which big surprise, of course, it was. Yeah. yeah. And oh, you weak fools! We won't. Who's get enabling wins. him? We won't get wins today or tomorrow or next week, but wins is coming. Which I, it's you know, coming. I was, yeah. I was laughing because people are like, so next week in a day. <laughs> Like, sure. oh God, yeah, I'm, yeah. There's a lot of optimism, which I don't understand. Um, people are, you know, 
people really want what they want. Ah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> Mel sends Devin to get her some food. And while he's, while he's away, she checks her pockets for all of her powders. And she thinks that, you know, she doesn't really need them at the wall. Because she's, um, she's more powerful at the wall. And her spells are basically good enough. But the powders make her, her tricks seem more magical. Which is, again, like that that mixture of political and, like, just practical savvy along with, like, actual magic. And it seems like in the past or at some points maybe she has more more or less relied on some of the tricks and now she doesn't really need to, um, she doesn't need that. She's, you know, pretty damn power, powerful on her own. Um, and then, you know, next in the door, and again, this is one of those chapters where basically, like, for the most part, people just come into the room... And, and the character's just <laughs> just standing there. It's like her office hours for a little bit of it. Yeah. Which I, you know, I I can appreciate. <laughs> Is that you, Eon? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're blowing up over there. <laughs> Sorry. So, so the Lord of Bones comes in, and she observes that he is cloaked in shadows. But he's not actually wearing his suit of bones. And, you know, she kind of scolds him a bit and tells him the bones protect him from the men of the watch. But, you know, he doesn't he doesn't seem too concerned. Um, Mel tells him, it's it, be concerned about their eyes, not their knives. And, you know, the wildling taps this ruby glamour on his, li- on his wrist. And there's a little, um, there's a quick little passage. The glamour eye. In the black iron fetter about his wrist, the ruby seemed to pulse. He tapped it with the edge of his blade. The steel made a faint click against the stone. I feel it when I sleep, warm against my skin, even through the iron, soft as a woman's kiss, your kiss. But sometimes in my dreams it starts to burn and your lips turn into teeth. Every day I think how easy it would be to pry it out, and every day I don't. Must I wear the bloody bones as well? The spell is made of shadow and suggestion. Men see what they expect to see. The bones are part of that. Was I wrong to spare this one? If the glamour fails, they will kill you. The wildling began to scrape the dirt out from beneath his nails with the point of his dagger. I've sung my songs, fought my battles, drunk the summer wine, tasted the Dornishman's wife. A man should die the way he's lived. For me, that's steel in hand. Um, you know, there, there's a lot... I think in this passage, you know, I think we've kind of talked about, you know, she thinks, you know, men will see what they expect to see. And it's funny because we literally see her kind of falling for that same trap um, (laughs) where she, you know, she's seeing what she expects to see or she's turning what she sees into what she hopes she sees in the flames. Um, So it's interesting that she doesn't really, you know, she doesn't really see her own weakness quite yet and we see it even more blatantly later on but I thought um, you know we have a, I, you know it's the reader I think we I don't know if the reader necessarily we don't know for sure it's Mance but for the purposes of, of this kind of discussion you know this is Mance <laughs> surprise yeah. Um, yeah. you know there was this interesting thing um, when you think about Mel and John, I was thinking, you know, they're both slaves, essentially, to one order or the other. And, and Mance is really the only free pe- person here. And she seems, like, kind of offended that he's not just, like, sub- like, there's this aspect of the glamour being kind of like slavery. And mm-hmm. she's a little, like, taken aback and, like, oh, you know, she thinks even, like, have the others touched him because he's not, like super submissive and um you know he's not just willing to do whatever they say like he actually keeps like a sense of his free will and you know it was it was interesting like i think she can't relate to him at all like she has no idea <laughs> what that is anymore yeah that could be part of it i mean it's interesting kind of how she relates to everyone around her. Cause it doesn't seem like she, uh, it's like earlier I was like, Oh, she does have empathy, but it's like, it doesn't really seem like she identifies with anyone though. I mean, it, it's kind of like, she's like a little bit alien to everybody that she interacts with. I mean, as far as like understanding how they, I mean, it's like 
she can pick out things about them and, and how they work. But at the same time, she doesn't seem to feel like she works the same way that they do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's not anywhere more true than it seems to be with, with Mance. And I don't know if it's just partly because we see this a little bit with, with Stannis and John and partly because Mance is, is used to, you know, not just being, you know, quote unquote free, but I think, you know, calling so many shots, having a position of power and therefore, He's a little bit more difficult to well, and I think um, he's made his choices impress, in, and he's also kind of made his choices in life. Like he's yeah made the choices. He's kind of decided I'm going to do what you know I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to be bound by you know. I mean, shit. Mel had to be you know pretty young when she's in slavery. John was 15 when he joined the Watch. Mance was a child wasn't he like an orphan boy that was essentially like yeah. well now you're in the watch and like he's the only one who you know there's certain there's a certain strength of character that says yeah no like nope I'm I'm done with this and you know I'm following I'm following my own my own way and you know there's a few characters in the story that that have that and I just I don't know that Melisandre can relate to that thought even. Like, it's just never a thought that would cross her mind. Hmm. It's funny because I don't think she thinks of herself as enslaved, though, at this time. She doesn't see it that way. It doesn't seem like. There's a line where she talks about, you know, something, you know, when when her enslavement to the, you know, to the house, to the red god starts, like, or when she sold in slavery to the, you know, to the Red Temple or something like that. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think she has the power now, but I mean, she is, I mean, would it, it would never occur to her to just be like, you know, I'm going to just not be a priestess anymore. Mm. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, she's a real believer because clearly there is actual real power yeah. in what she's doing. So I think there's a combination of all that. But I think back to your point, I think what it is with Mance, I think more than anything, it's just, you know, Mance, um, Mance doesn't care if he dies. There really isn't much that, you know, there's really no great leverage that she has with him. She's like, don't you want to not get caught? And he almost doesn't seem to care that much if he gets caught. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I think that's part of why mm-hmm. she just can't figure him out. Yeah. So she tells him that the enemy is moving and that the rangers John sent will return dead soon with bl- with blind and bloody eyes, which is the work of the Weeper. And Mans thinks that's bad news for, you know, basically bad news for any alliance between the men of the Watch and the Wildlings. And Melisandre, you know, she pretends to care, but the truth is that she sees that the Wildlings are destined to vanish from the earth. And, you know, she chooses not to share that with Mance. <sighs> Wasn't that like, it was like, just like a line drop from her, but it's just so like chilling and heartbreaking Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's always, you know, there's always Gilly. (laughs) She's, she's far south. Um, She asks him how far or how well he knows the north and together they try to piece together where the um, girl in gray is so they can try to save her. And they figure out she's near Long Lake and, you know, cleverly keeping away from the King's Road. But then they're interrupted by the horn. And I think George does this, like, wonderful job of the moment of suspense, really as the whole castle is waiting, you know, to hear another blast or, God forbid, two more blasts of of the horn. Mm. But it ends up just being one. And, you know, Melisandre's like, yeah, it's those dead rangers. So she leaves Mance in her chambers and goes to the tunnel under the wall to the other side, where the men are gathered around three spears, and upon each is impaled a severed head, and it's Blackjack Bulwer, Harry, Harry Hal, and Garth Greyfeather. And um, Dolores Ed has this great line, um, I hope the weeper burned the body, said the dour man, the one called Dolores Ed, elsewise they might come looking for their heads, which <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> Uh, Bowen Marsh starts complaining to John that they should have never sent out rangers and John warns him that you know, this is not the time or place to say that so it's like a little interesting bit of foreshadowing about um, yeah. about his discontentment and betrayal and then John asked Melisandre to walk with him back and they walk back through the wall and it was this little funny bit where she starts walking deliberately slow and you know where she walks the ice will begin to 
to melt, and um, you know she just wants to make sure everyone notices. <laughs> so you know, way to put on a show by her. <laughs> John asks her if she knows what's happened to the rest of the Rangers, but she doesn't know. Um, she tells him about the vision she saw of the towers, and she makes this assumption that it's Eastwatch. Although you know she knows the it's the towers, and she's been there, and she knows the towers and her fire aren't the same. But she's just kind of saying this to please John, which is really, yeah. really interesting. Um, again, she's kind I, of breaking her own rules here. I just this is like the this is like the most unsettling thing about this. How it's like it's not that she doesn't know something because she does. It's just she just is like the 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 willingness that she has to just guess. Mm-hmm. And, like, sometimes they aren't even the most educated guesses. Yeah, like, she's just, I mean, it's kind yeah, of it, confident lazy. about what she's guessing. And she's just like, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Just, I, I, I don't know. For some reason, it really pisses me off that she just will just kind of wing this shit. And I don't know why it bothers I think it's because she actually does have power. Yeah. And then I feel like she's just really irresponsible. Because <laughs> I think, you know, what I think aren't, isn't the most popular interpretation that it's like the citadel that she's seeing or like something in is um, that it the, Have cita- no clue. the citadel or like know. something in the reach like wherever the high towers are like the family hmm. not the um that she's well that would that. be the citadel yeah um i don't know i've, I've never you know i don't and know that, that i've ever dark tide is, into it like much. she's seeing like urine basically yeah. Oh, clearly it's Euron. Yeah. yeah. Clearly it's the Ironborn. But yeah, I don't know. I've never looked too much into mm-hmm. like much about her visions. Like pretty much everything in dance, I've just kind of ignored a lot of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I don't know why it couldn't be. You, I, yet again, though, I mean, it's like if your goal is to like gain yourself some credibility. Why not like take a minute or two and really think it through or and like, you know, you put John off. I've seen something I'm investigating, you know, kind of yeah. lead him along. Host. Yeah, that is know. funny. Because and then she's just like, yeah, Eastwatch. Yeah, sure. The towers this time were different from last time. But you know what? Eastwatch. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So another like deep dive thing that we discover in this little passage is that apparently there's like a little couple that we did not know about. Um, there's Elf of Runnymud, who's one of uh, Melisandre's or one of the Queen's men. He's pretty broken up about Garth's about Garth um, Greyfeather's death, and you know he wails when he finds out about it. And John tells Three Finger Hob to put him to bed and give him some mulled wine. So I've just interpreted that. I mean, they're totally a couple. You know, he's like, oh, I mean, Garth he was never. distraught. Yeah, and he's like, Garth <laughs> would never, you know, let that happen to him. So, um, a little, you know, a little tragic romance on the side there, which was just very like bizarre to have in there. <laughs> like it's like two sentences, but you know, I guess we're adding we're adding well, flavor. We don't have an editor at this point, so everything's George. in. Everybody gets a fully baked storyline if they yep. show up dead or not. Yep. Nothing is taken out. So, no, nope, no I, I'm pretty sure literally nothing was taken out of this <laughs> chapter. Um, so Mel asked John to come to her chambers, and he agrees. And as they walk together, she thinks how she can literally feel the mistrust pouring off of him. And, you know, she thinks he doesn't love her, but he'll use her. And it reminds her of her early days with Stannis. And she thinks about how much alike they are. And she thinks, uh, this is just a short little passage. Uh, Stannis had been a younger son, living in the shadow of his elder brother, just as Jon Snow, bastard-born, had always been eclipsed by his true-born sibling, the fallen hero men had called the young wolf. Both men were unbelievers by nature, mistrustful, suspicious. The only gods they truly worshipped were honor and duty. Um, I mean, you guys, I don't necessarily think this is an accurate description of, of John. Um, what do you think? I don't. Like, it's the Stannis, same. yes. Yeah. John, not so much. I, I feel like John is a believer by nature. He is trustful, mm. and he's not really particularly suspicious. 
Well, I think how much of this is just when she's meeting John. I mean, John is becoming, you know, Lord Commander John at this moment. And yeah. he's just not really himself outwardly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It is. I kind of disagree with it, too, in a way. I mean, like, he just. I, I I would never have described John as having the same feelings about Rob that like that would even come close to like no. Stannis what felt Stannis about Robert. Robert. Yeah, no. Yeah, it just seems like very you know it seems very superficial, and you know basically oh they're both the second kid you know <laughs> <laughs> they must be exactly alike. <laughs> I wonder if it's like a you know is this an age thing with her. Like, as she's getting older, she's just kind of getting lazy with her prophecies and with her thoughts. <laughs> oh, like, just... <laughs> second second child, so this is who he is. Or just, yeah, or just, like, her in general. Like, if she is, you know, a, you know, a really old woman where she's just like, ugh, mm. yeah, I've seen all this before. I know how this is going to work. And you know, Maybe no. that's so it. She, Maybe she just doesn't think it matters. matters. Yeah. 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 It could, could very well be. I mean, there seem to be things she is very interested in, but... Um, I mean, I don't know this whole thing. It's so funny. I'm just sitting here as we're talking about this and I'm just like, I I know why George included this chapter. I know that he wanted to establish, you know, Mel as a a POV character going into wins. And I know that he, um, wanted to make sure that he didn't kill John and people didn't perceive it as him killing John and then changing his mind when he resurrects him. He wants, he wants us all to know that he has the groundwork laid because he's, telling us about this, you know, John is a man and a wolf and a man and, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth. But, yeah. um, I, I'm always like, do, you know, does he, does he want another POV to reveal something new about someone or, you know, but that just doesn't seem to be the case with her. I don't know. It's just so interesting. I mean, I like, feel you like don't she's, even... yeah, she's a POV because he needs POV at the wall and, you know, didn't yeah. be on there. Yeah. Or anyone else, I, you know. I mean, I find I'm fine with it. Like I, I, I like Melisandre's chapter. It's interesting in a lot of ways. But again, the frustration, the yeah, the branching for no good reason. So, Melisandre thinks that John hasn't asked about his sister, but then he tells her that you know he has no sister. That he put his kin aside when he said his vows, and that he can't help Arya now. And when they. So they finally get to Mel- Melisandre's chamber, and the wildling, who John is still seeing as Rattleshirt, is there eating, which he's been eating like a long time, by the way. Like they, she went down to the ba- you know, to like the ground level, went through the wall, hung out with like the you know the guys on the spears, came back, yeah, back it wasn't that the wall, much food, up, and he's still eating. <laughs> so like he's he so what we know is that Mans is a really slow eater. Um, <laughs> And like, and the bread's still warm. So like, again, like this is gonna go down into like, you know, the classic Reddit post about how hot the Dothraki must must make their soup in order for it to melt gold quick enough for Drogo <laughs> to pour over Viserys' head. Like, Three Finger Hob must bake like incredibly hot bread for it still be warm after all of this, especially when you realize like it's cold out. Oh yeah, it's gotta be cold. It's cold. <laughs> Even it- and Even inside at the wall, right. it's got to be cold. Right. The bread is still warm. So unless that's like one of her perks is that it, oh, like the food that her she's around always. Yeah. Like her entire room is fire. She keeps it super hot in there. And yeah, it's, it's an just. Oven. <laughs> her, room is, her room is basically an oven. <laughs> she's cooking up plots. <laughs> this makes sense. Okay. So. Uh, he tells John that he should have sent him with his rangers, and, and John says that he would have betrayed him. And, you know, quote-unquote Rattleshirt responds by reminding John of his betrayal of Egret, which, ooh, those are fighting words. Um, you know, then he gets on with it, and Rattle, you know, quote-unquote Rattleshirt tells Melisandre that he'll need horses and some of the spearwives at Molestown, um, since the girl will be more likely to trust other women, but then also, like, he mentions, and because of some, you know, plot I have going on, which I thought was really bizarre. Like, because at this point, he doesn't think he's going to Winterfell. He thinks he's... Does he, though? We don't really know. He's, like, going on, like, a by Long Lake looking for a girl on a horse. So it's just, yeah, so it, it's, like, I, that's what I didn't really quite understand. Like, that was bizarre. Um, 
John, you know, John doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And, you know, Melisandre tells tells him that, you know, yeah, I know you can't help your sister, but this guy can. And John's like, oh, hell no. Rattleshirt is a big old piece of shit. Like, he is not getting near my sister. <laughs> and, you know, that leaves Mel with no choice. Uh, she tells Devin to leave, and then she touches the ruby the ruby at her neck, and we get this kind of fancy passage here. Um, the sound echoed queerly from the corners of the room and twisted like a worm inside their ears. The wildling heard one word, the crow another. Neither was the word that left her lips. The ruby on the wildling's wrist darkened, and whiffs of light and snow and shadow around him writhed and faded. Um, his face and stature change, and, oh, snap, it's Mance. And John is like, what the fuck? <laughs> and <laughs> this, this is like near the end of the outline, if you guys have noticed, where it just pretty much just turns into uh, whatever. Uh, Melisandre kind of gives the big reveal that she burned Rattleshirt in Mance's place. And she purposely makes it sound really simple so that she seems more powerful in their eyes. But she thinks to herself about how hard it was to do it, and that when the flames started burning Rattleshirt, the ruby at her throat grew so hot that she thought she might burn too. And she was only really saved when John killed Rattleshirt with an arrow instead of letting him burn to death. So she presents Mance as a gift from the Lord of Light, and she, you know, she's basically like, "We have his son, so and he owes you, John, his life." So. Um, you know, he's going to go save Arya, and you, John, can keep your vows. And, you know, this seems like a perfect plan, and I'm sure nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course not. Didn't you, when he, when when she was <laughs> saying the thing about how they all heard different words, I was like, is this Yanny and Laurel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Doesn't it sound it like is. that? It is. It totally <laughs> is. Oh, God. Oh, that's stupid. Was that okay? Here's my question: Was that this year? Yeah, I don't know, like if things happened this year or if they happened like ten years ago. This year's been about a decade long, right? Like someone said, the the Winter Olympics were this year, and it was like, oh my god, I legit can't even remember any of it. And then, like, you know, the royal wedding was this year. I mean, I kind of feel like that was this year, but the Olympics certainly don't feel like this year. I can't remember who won the Super Bowl. Oh, fuck no. I mean, it, well, did I ever know? Was it like six years ago? That's what it <laughs> seems like. Yeah, it's... Who the hell knows? It's it's endless. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, that it also reminds me of, um, you know, that that little passage kind of reminds me of the way Varys has talked about things too. Um, like those kind of magical, those magical words like that. And I know that's more of a show invention, but um, that felt like kind of, it had that same feel of it to me. So, you know, when you read this, if, if you were going to, you know, I feel like we've talked about a little bit how Mel isn't really, she doesn't really see things in shades of gray. Um, but, you know, how do you guys see Melisandre after this? Like, do you see her as more of a white character or more of a black character? Um, you know, I think accepting that, obviously, she's really a shade of gray. But, you know, after having read her POV, you know, is she more one of the good guys or more one of the bad guys to you? I don't know if I really recategorized her, like, morally. I think it was just kind of refreshing to find out, you know, how human she was behind it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, she's done some really horrific shit, yeah. and there's just no way around it. <laughs> like, burning people alive on the regular is just like just a whole other <laughs> level, you know. Um, you know, I, you know, as Jamie fans, we've obviously talked about like the characters that the characters like that him like him that maybe have done, you know, something wrong for the, for the greater good. And, you know, if it comes down to it that, you know, I mean, I guess it comes, yeah, I guess it'll all come down to like what happens with Shireen, like that, the horrific act that that's ultimately for the greater good. See, sometimes I'm glad we're never going to see wins. (laughs) And it's when you say things like that, Mm -hmm. I just don't even want to know in so many ways. Do you think that, um, you know, just a couple uh, 
question about wins. You know, do you think that John's going to be, quote, dead for most of the book? Because I kind of feel like he is. Because I, I don't know what he does if he's not. Um, I mean, knowing George, yes. Should yeah. he be to get the series done? No. No. Uh, yeah, exactly. He should be dead, like, two chapters. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, like, maybe 20% of the book. But he will probably until the... <laughs> oh, yeah, Although I probably. suppose he probably has to be alive before, the, if we think the wall falls, he probably has to be like fully alive before that happens. Mm. Unless like maybe he's better off in like wolf state at that point. Yeah, they could just drag his frozen corpse behind him as they run away from the wall. Right. Oh, I forgot that he has corpse. <laughs> I was <laughs> just thinking that he was literally turning into the wolf. I kind of into forgot the that they were two different like physical things. <laughs> If, um, like no, a weekend at Bernie's, but the wolf like carrying him. <laughs> weekend at Bernie's. Oh, Jesus Christ. That'd Happens again. <laughs> Somewhere but, in D&D um, are like, we told you. <laughs> if if she's as powerful as, as powerful as this chapter has ended at, he shouldn't be dead long at all. Right. Right. Like, she should immediately be able to bring him back. But she's never brought anyone back, right? Like, Oh, yeah, she hadn't done that. Or that we know of, I guess. You know, who knows yeah. in her past if she has. But, yeah, it's not not something we've if seen If Thoros can do it, surely. Right. Well, he's pretty shocked by it, though. Well, and Beric does it, you and know. And Beric, yeah. I just, uh, it, yeah. God. So this is, you know, I know I probably think I've talked about this before. It's like I love the fantasy genre, but I actually hate magic. I, I, one of the things I like about A Song of Ice and Fire is how muted the magic was for the first few books. I think mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons that I really liked it. And so, yeah, this is why as we get into dance, I get more and more kind of pissed off. <laughs> well, <'cause laughs> I fucking hate want... magic. It's cheating. I fucking right. hate it. You want. You know, you want to have consequence. You know, you want to have like actual, real consequences for things. Yeah, and, and I want to have, um, I want to have people not be overpowered and shit. You know, yeah, yeah. Especially in a world Danny. that was set up where overt magic wasn't really a thing. Yeah, yeah. And what's funny about it is, I think George was leaning that way and was kind of pushed back toward magic, and it's just like. Ugh. Well, and it's just, it's weird when you have characters, you know, you have, you know, characters that clearly have magic, you know, magical animals or magical powers and, you know, eventually pitting them against characters that have none. And, you know, it's just, it's not really particularly interesting to, you know, it's not interesting. It's like, you know, I know the show was praised for the episode where Jamie had the Lannister forces against the dragon, but... Like, that's not really a f- interesting fight. You know, like... A, a new. A because dude on a horse in against In no a, world. Yeah, like... <laughs> oh, yeah. Would they ever get out of life? Right, like, where's no. the... But yeah, let's just jump into this river with all of our yeah. home. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> because that's plausible. Or even, you know, our character... Like, some of our other characters that we've met, like the, you know, like the Ashes of the world, like, you know, there's... You know, she doesn't have any special, you know, she doesn't have any special powers or special magic or, or, you know, neither does Brienne or, you know, really neither does Sansa at this moment. And, you know, we it, it's interesting because it feels like those are some of the characters being set up to be important after whatever happens. And yet it's hard, you know, it's like, how are they... How are they part of what happens? What happens? Yeah, yeah. Like if you it's know, very clear the characters that will be like the brands and yeah, you know, even John on some level. But yeah, and Danny, of course. But. Well, I mean, I guess Jamie and Brienne potentially have ma- you know, have a magic sword, but sword, you know, yeah. Against everything, that seems like an awful puny weapon. Goddamn magic! <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. You're a wizard, Jamie. <laughs> I'm a what? <laughs> oh God! It'll be amazing. Yeah, you know, I'm beginning to get just more and more like maybe we should just be thankful we'll never read wins. I mean, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe that's where I'm at now. Maybe it's maybe it's okay. Maybe it's good. 
It's just, yeah, you've come to, like, acceptance, basically. <laughs> I've reached nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> with this. I haven't. Yeah. I really haven't. So, um, we did get... So, do we... I know we have a piece of mail, Ian, um, if we want to get into that. Yeah. Yeah, we got um, one on Tumblr from Theon Grey King. And it says, hello, ladies, and maybe a gin or two. I'm really enjoying the favorite chapter episodes. I just wanted to say that Knights of the Kingsguard can and have been hands of the king before Cersei wanting Jamie to be hand was not that weird. Um, Sir Kristen Cole is the most infamous example. He was hand to Aegon, too. Just two awful dudes being awful together. <laughs> <laughs> Love you ladies. Keep up the good work. Now if you don't want fire and blood, spoilers stop reading now. But I have discovered something that probably means nothing to anybody anyone else in the fandom but a daughter of the even star of Tarth married into House Harlow. And now all I can think about is that Asha and Brienne are related and that makes me very happy for Aww. some reason. Aww. <laughs> me super happy too. <laughs> Uh, that was uh, yeah, I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, yeah, I knew that there was the thing about the even star having triplet daughters. But yeah, I, I heard the triplet thing. What houses they married into? So that's awesome. You know, cause that is kind of awesome. I feel like there are certain houses that George obviously really likes. Whether that means like they're all killed or not is an entirely different thing. But obviously, I think you know House Harlaw is going to be a special favorite of his. You know. A writer doesn't create a character called the reader if he doesn't like him, yeah. you know. Like, no, I feel like you're kind of saying this is a, you know, you might as well just put like a banner on his head. Good guy, <laughs> the one. cool dude. Um, we also had a request to talk shit about um the notes that the um script notes that were released from. Uh, some of the old Game of Thrones episodes, and I think uh, Chicky, you were especially, um, you were kind of especially in- intrigued by the notes for the Lion and the Rose, which is um, I was more amused than anything. Yeah, I, I, I'm assuming most people know, but yeah, Joanna Robinson has basically been reading like the the scripts that I don't know if it was Benioff or Weiss. One of them has donated to some film school library or something somewhere. Um, and they included in the donation some of George's original scripts. And, like, they really changed George's script for, I guess it was season four. It wasn't episode two, The Purple Wedding. Yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, they really changed it because George had some wild shit. And to me, like, the absolute most off-the-wall crazy thing that was in it was that he wanted Oberyn Martell to perform, like, try to perform like a medieval tracheotomy on Joffrey when he started choking. Which, like, why would, like, why would he? I don't know. I don't know. And I mean, yeah, he, you know, he's a maester. He went to, you know, he went to school. He might realistically know that, but, like, I don't feel like Oberyn would be particularly invested in, you know, in saving Joffrey. Well, we haven't seen any tracheotomies before. I feel like I would be surprised if they even understood what how to do that for starters. And just like everything about it was just like so over the top. I was just like, oh my god! I just like can't imagine like Benioff and Weiss's faces when they read that. Like they must have just been like looking at each other, going, "Is he for real with this?" <laughs> I did read that there was some. There was originally a little conversation between Tyrion and Jamie where Jamie asks Tyrion to give. Sansa to Brienne. Yeah. And yep. then you Chicky found like the most disturbing one though, which is the the Ramsey dog thing. Yeah, well that was really something. So uh, apparently I, I think <laughs> if, if I'm remembering correctly, as they as they presented the episode in the season, it's just entirely the purple wedding, right? There aren't any there's, scenes. No, anywhere there's else. other there's other scenes. There are? Oh yeah. okay. Um, yeah, it's mostly the purple but wedding. George wrote the scene of um, Theon and Ramsay chasing a girl that it was actually in the first episode of season four, right? They moved it to mm-hmm. the first episode. Yeah, so anyway, George puts in like an aside where he says, you know, definitely feature Ramsay's girls, his his hounds, his dogs, you know, because they're going to face off against the Stark direwolves. P.S. Big spoilers here. <laughs> 
So, like, you know, natural deduction, if they're going to face off against the Stark direwolves, like, when's that going to happen? Clearly, Ramsey's not about to be killed by Stannis. So, yeah, no, it's, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. 100% denial here. Like, that has to be wrong. I don't, I, why would he write it in? Well, like, what does he mean, the Stark direwolves? Like, yeah, what he, the hell he is he plural. talking about Nymeria's direwolves? In what world so it has would hounds have a chance? Right. Dude, I don't know. Or is like, it just, like, some stupid. shaggy dog full-on, like, bullshit? <laughs> but or, my thing is, how much longer would Ramsay have to survive in order I to... Mean, for, for any for there to even be two Stark direwolves in the same place at the same time. Right. I mean, so like the last book. Yeah. So that and is, like, yeah. that's the whole, Asinine. if that's the case, what is the entire point of the Winterfell right. plot in a dance with dragons? Like it would fucking no. Yeah. I'm just he, like, cause he would if, have to win that. Right. That is get out of here. Well, I'm like, what if the fucking pink letter is just, is what it is. I'm like, I just, I just, I don't know. I'm just like, all right, I'm out. It's <laughs> just like, I quit. If the pink letter is what it is, then why wouldn't he have Theon? Jesus Christ. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything. I like that we're like all like equally really upset about this. Like I would I'm more upset about this, frankly, than I would be if, you know, you know, make sure that Jamie does this because he's going to die in this horrific way. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> you know Which might be in there for all we fucking know. Yeah, which you know, I'd be like, Yep, okay, that you know makes sense but this makes no sense to me and i'm just assuming that he's fucking with them (laughs) well see i just was so convinced that the show had created a big bad out of ramsey that slightly existed but i was like you know ramsey's not going to be this you know much at the forefront in the books but maybe i was fucking wrong about that i mean like i was like change your mind, George. Like we know you haven't written the book yet, so it's not too late. So, good God, but don't do that. That just seems, yeah, just really, really upsetting. And just don't, I just don't know if we can trust anybody with this story. Really, really, to be frank with you, I'm not sure. Not even George R. R. Martin. I don't trust you with this shit anymore. Sorry. It's, just, it's time to leave it up to the fix. <laughs> Ugh, okay. Um, anything else, anyone, before we put this one to bed? Uh, yeah. Oh, Melisandre. Um, when when she's talking about the glamour and she's like, the bones remember the strongest glamours are built oh, yeah. for such things: a dead man's boots, uh, a hank of hair, a bag of finger bones. Yeah. Yeah. She what glamour Davos. Yeah, she clearly talking about Davos, but like, yeah. why would Davos be a glamour? That's what I, I do not know. Well, maybe I like bags of finger bones are more common. Because like, <laughs> everybody has those right. just on their person. Unless they're not. Well, and, you know, know, Davos doesn't have his bag of finger bones anymore, remember? Like, he right. lost that. So, yeah. I, so, is she implying that she's got someone somewhere pretending to be Davos because she secretly had the bag? Or and that he so still why? has it and is planning on using it later or something. Like what is that could on? be? That could that may very well be. Who even knows? Well, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's two Davoses, that would be kind of awesome. But I mean, uh, really. Oh, no, I, I mean, we got like fake Arya. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say, Devin? Now all I can think of is Davos running into himself and doing the Spider-Man <laughs> meme. <laughs> <laughs> with a hand with not all his fingers. Oh, yeah, just feel like half of his <laughs> finger point. <laughs> is this chapter before, like, because I know in, in this book, this is where Davos goes to, um, to see the Manderleys. Yeah. And they kind of fake his death. And for a while, you think he's dead, and then he shows yeah. up. Yeah, is this like a chapter that's before that? Yeah, it must be before that. I'm looking because yeah. I have all my chapters marked with like. Yeah. Um, but when he goes to White Harbor, he doesn't. He already doesn't have his finger bones. Right. He's been missing them for quite a while, so it's like we know this is Davos. Maybe she has them in one of her pockets. Yeah, she's got a lot of pockets. Although, I mean, he lost them at the Blackwater, didn't he? Yes, yes. So, unless she went like deep sea diving. <laughs> she 
she's got a lot of magic. Do we put it past her? That'd be right. awesome if she just pulls on like a scuba mask. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it, I, I agree with Devin. It was a weird thing to be just like thrown in there. Yeah. And I never remember noticing it before. I'm sure there are 50 threads about it on Warg or on Reddit. But like I've, n- I've never heard anything about it before. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just, yeah, it might be like a common thing. Like all the thieves get their fingers chopped and then they all wear them around. Their- <laughs> oh, I just so. keep them around my it's neck. Like the big ugly day. gold medallion of, of Westeros. Uh, it's like the rabbit's foot of Westeros. Oh, I like that better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those Davos chapters are before this. Yeah, like Davos four. Davos four, where they have the whole thing with Wex and him telling him about um, mm-hmm. Rick and is like two chapters before okay. this. Funny. Oh, oh. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe it's a little bit of misdirection or something too. But right. Who the heck? Or something. Yeah. Who the heck knows? Who knows any of this shit anymore? I mean, um, clearly not us. Right. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I kind of like, you know, when you read these chapters again, it's like you kind of forget what's in them and then you read them again. And I was like, oh, maybe there'll be some more illumination from her chapter this time reading it. Nope, not at all. Nope. I feel completely unilluminated, except that I think that she's like a super lazy prophet prophetess. <laughs> She's like yeah, the me after of prophecy. This discussion, that's what I feel like now. Yeah, yeah. she's the me of prophecy. Nah, it's probably it's directionally <laughs> correct. Sure, it's yeah, tower. Close enough. Close enough. It's literally, literally actually that, but that yeah, is actually no what way. I would say. It's directionally. It's probably directionally correct. Well, this is, she says she's probably one of the the most powerful red priestesses. Can you imagine what the other ones are what like? The other ones are doing? Yeah. Right. Yes. Nobody's right about anything. <laughs> Ever. Why can't we get like one of like crappy red priestess? <laughs> oh, that'd be I mean, fun. in a way, don't we have one? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Like crappier. <laughs> I feel like she'd be fine if she applied herself. Like her her performance evaluation. That's the thing. She's is... not trying. And that's the problem. <laughs> right. She's not trying. Her evaluation would be like not detail oriented. <laughs> Jumps to conclusions. <laughs> because by all accounts, all all her visions are telling her her is hey, Jon Snow is the guy, not Stannis. And she's just like, Yeah, I'm just waiting on to show show me Stannis. <laughs> Maybe she is, you know, actually well no, I mean she never thinks about Stannis and like like she never seems to like be worshipful or in awe of Stannis or anything like that, though. Like that's kind of what's interesting is she's not, you know. There's, yeah, she just doesn't really think about him in any like. But they are just casually fucking right because she's oh, yeah, like, she my bed hasn't had bet. much use since Stannis has been yeah. gone, and I just thought yeah. it was the the shadow baby thing that was it. Oh and no, I think they're that like took a... me by surprise. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, that's, that's clearly a key part of her uh, Stannis control strategy. Yeah, is the. I mean, maybe someone else should try that. I don't know. <laughs> Just to keep him out of Davos's arms somehow. Oh. Or John's, for that matter. I mean, she does have a lot of competition. Oh, God. He really does have a lot of options. Stannis can be shipped to so many Stannis people very San- easily. Stannis is the Sansa of. He really is. He's got a lot of ships. Well, like, you know, I guess his wife, Mel, John, and uh, Davos, like, that's quite a few. Nobody's shipping him with his wife. I know. (laughs) I feel like I had to throw that in there. It was very kind of you, (laughs) Gav. There are just not very many Solis. Well, I feel like there's probably a lot of, like, threesome shippers of Stannis, Solis, and Melisandre. Uh. So I'll probably yeah, you know, throw that in there. Um, anything else, anyone? This chapter was pretty meaty, so yeah. Oh All right. Well, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on. Um, you can write us at close the door and come here. Wait, no, you can't. Okay, this is where you can write us. <laughs> close the door and at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr and Facebook at close the door and come here. You can tweet us at Door Podcast. Um, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, 
all of those fun places. And you can also become our Patreon, where you receive additional benefits, like receiving our episodes um, early. And I am going to close the door. Get out. <laughs>